Good morning. It's lovely to see you. And um, today, as you'll see from the PowerPoint, we're looking at the story of Hannah. We're looking at praying with Hannah and, uh, and a provocation to us for intercession and prayer. Um, Hannah's story can be found in 1 Samuel, chapters 1 and 2. Um, and we're going to read a good chunk of it, but not all of it, because it's quite long. So I'm going to read to you uh, 1 Samuel, chapter 1, um, uh, verses 1 to 20, and then just a couple of edited highlights after that. All right, so um, there was a, a certain man from Ramathame. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrificed to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of his meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house, and in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. So Eli answered, I'll go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went away and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord. And they went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. And so in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And then verse 27 says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life will be given over to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. In chapter 2, we won't read all of chapter 2, but... It's Hannah's prayer after her prayer has been answered, a sense of rejoicing, and just a couple of verses. So it says this, Hannah prayed, my heart rejoices in the Lord, and the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance, for there is no one holy like the Lord, no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. He raises the poor from the dust 
and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour. So, welcome to Hannah's story. It's an example of real life, of pain and disappointment, of emotion, of strengthening, decision-making, faith, and powerful prayer. Hannah made decisions to contend with God, and her story gives us a moving insight into a vulnerable outpouring of a woman's heart to God in petition and in thanksgiving. So, part one. What was Hannah's situation? Well, we've just read the story, so the first part of chapter one sets out Hannah's circumstances and gives us insight into her situation. Hannah is married to Elkanah. He's a man with two wives, Hannah and Peninnah. He's portrayed here as a sincere man with no particular comment made on his polygamy. We're told he loved Hannah, and maybe it's implied he loved her the most, despite the fact that Hannah had no children. This is the key point in the account. Hannah was childless, um, and the Bible here describes how God had closed her womb. Hannah's pain ran deep. Her grief and sorrow was deeply felt by her, and I'm sure we can all relate to that on an emotional level. But in that society, having children wasn't just an emotional longing. In this era, in this part of the world, as in parts today, the honor-shame culture shaped your worldview. Honor in this era was a value system. Perhaps, I don't know if it's a good example, but perhaps you could compare it to a modern credit rating. Without good credit nowadays, you can't buy the things that give you status in our society, like a house or a car. In this honor-shame culture, you'd find that without honor, doors are shut to you in society or business. Your economic security and your social status was linked to the number of children you had. More children meant a larger labor force, and therefore having children really was a life and death issue. So a woman like Hannah without children was considered worthless, not able to contribute to society. Hannah's childlessness was a social embarrassment and greatly looked down upon. And this impacted Hannah's family life in a significant way. Each year, Elkanah and his wives and his children, Peninnah's children, went to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice. And each time Hannah came to the house of the Lord, Peninnah provoked her. Year after year, Peninnah would taunt Hannah with insults regarding her childlessness. It was deliberate designed to irritate, and it caused Hannah to weep. And this is where we find Hannah. Deeply grieved by her barrenness to the point where she was unable to eat. So here was Hannah, a childless woman, oppressed by Peninnah, powerless in her own family, despite Elkanah's favoritism of her. It's noteworthy, perhaps, that Elkanah appeared to observe her pain, but not really understand it. He had lots of children through Peninnah, and he didn't feel the loss that Hannah herself felt. He asks here, am I not more to you than ten sons? I thought his sentiment was maybe admirable. Doesn't she love him? Isn't he enough? But he doesn't seem to really understand. Maybe if he'd said to Hannah, you are enough, it would have helped a bit. But to me, Elkanah's reply here feels like a provocation to try and understand the perspective of others and not overlay our feelings onto them. 
So we're going to come to Hannah's response. Now, of course, when we read this passage, we recognize quickly that Hannah began to pray. To pray. Something we know we all should do when faced with challenge or pain or disappointment or grief. But this wasn't an easy option for Hannah, and it's not always an easy option for us. In our focus on this year um, as a church on prayer, God is calling us to be powerful prayer warriors. As Pete Grigg put it, more fight club than golf club. It's not an easy call on us as a church, but I do think that today God wants to call us into action, battle with our own disappointments by taking them to him and boldly pray. And the verse I really felt that the Holy Spirit um, highlighted me today as I prepared is verse 9. It's a small, almost innocuous verse, but it says this. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Verse 9, Hannah stood up. It reads at first like a passing phase, not the really meaty part of the passage, but I think it's really key for us. And the Holy Spirit's had his hand on this. Hannah stood up to arise, emboldened. Hannah stopped being passive and took deliberate action. I'm sure this verse has a literal meaning and Hannah physically stood up. She must have been because she came to be seen by Eli the priest. She poured out her heart to God. But to me the verse conveys so much more depth and meaning than just a literal action. In her spirit she rose. She dug deep, found faith again and poured out her heart to God. This was a decisive Holy Spirit moment for Hannah. And I really think there's a Holy Spirit moment for us here too. Because God is calling us as a church to stand up in in prayer. And I'm going to offer you the invitation, like Hannah, later to stand up. As the passage continues, we get a really beautiful insight into Hannah as she begins to pray. She says, Hannah stood up, verse 10, and then in her deep anguish prayed to the Lord. And I've got a few characteristics that I feel like God, um, you know, showed me as we looked at this. I want to draw these out as we consider that moment where Hannah stood up and started to pray. So firstly, Hannah's prayer is full of emotion. She's really vulnerable. The frustration, the sadness, the disappointment seem to spill out as she prays. She's not polite or tentative. Eli thought she was drunk. But she's raw and deep. The passage describes her deep anguish or bitter and bitter weeping. And I think this is one of the safest aspects of Hannah's prayer and yet one of the most challenging. Isn't it wonderful that we can come to God raw, not have to wait to feel or look presentable? But that's really hard too. To come to God when we feel emotional or vulnerable or disappointed requires such effort and energy we know we have to be real with God and we have to bear our soul when we have to bear our souls to him and to me this sometimes feels like a barrier to prayer because you can't really pretend with God you have to be honest and sometimes it's just easier to shut him out Hannah's stance to me is provocative here to stand up to engage again to make the effort and be real with God requires our commitment And I, for one, am genuinely challenged again to stand up and let God into my heart. Secondly, as Hannah prayed, she looked to the attributes of God. This is verse 11. She prayed um, 
thinking about his majesty. Lord Almighty are the words that open her prayer. This is one of the most powerful aspects of prayer, isn't it? For when we pray, we remind ourselves of God's character, his power and his might, his love and compassion, his kindness and goodness, his unchanging nature. As Hannah prayed, she petitioned God in line with his character. Remember me, she says. And she remembers that her broken heart matters to God. Do you know that the state of your heart matters to him too? Thirdly, by standing up and praying, Hannah battled with her disappointment and petitioned God again. As the Lord's Prayer sets out for us, give us this day our daily bread, it encourages us to petition for our needs. Hannah petitions God for hers. This isn't a metaphor. Just like Hannah's prayer for a baby wasn't a metaphor. Perhaps in our Western culture, when we are materially comfortable, we forget that prayer isn't just spiritual, it's practical too. For many parts of the world, asking for daily bread is uppermost in their minds when they ask God for provision. Maybe at a time of rising food prices and broader inflation in the UK, that's uppermost amongst people that we know, maybe in our church family. And I think specifically God wants to stir faith in us today to believe for practical answers to prayer for people, daily bread perhaps. But asking for what we need involves trust to make our requests to him and to be persistent. And this is where another challenge lies. Can you think of answered prayers? I know I can. I've asked and petitioned God and seen him answer. For example, when we moved from Coventry to Solihull nearly nine years ago now, <laughs> we petitioned God in that process, believing God had really called us here. And we prayed, especially when it looked like the house chain might fall through. This prayer for me, this is a time, a period perhaps, when like Hannah, I felt like I prayed until it, it's done. I knew in my spirit that my prayers were answered. And praise God, things came together in time. Yet, can you also think of unanswered prayers? I'd be surprised if the answer was no. Likewise, I can think of prayers that remain as yet unanswered and perhaps here the air of mystery about prayer can bring us to a standstill. To avoid further pain and disappointment, we stop asking. We stop trusting in the good Father who knows what we need and will sustain us when mystery surrounds our unanswered prayers. And maybe this is the biggest challenge to, like Hannah, stand up. The disappointment is real. You've prayed some of your biggest and most audacious prayers, really risen in faith to believe God and contend for change. Yet he seems silent and nothing appears to shift. Maybe that's over a house move or financial challenges or unwanted health diagnoses or our children or loved ones, the really big stuff of life. Because big prayers risk big disappointment. And we must be honest. To pray is to make ourselves vulnerable, and that always risks disappointment. What if God doesn't answer? Or doesn't answer in the way that we expect? Disappointment is painful, dark, lonely, uncomfortable. And I think uh, we put up barriers of self-sufficiency to protect ourselves from further disappointment. But Hannah's story challenges us once again to bring our disappointment to God and to bear our soul. 
to believe that he does answer prayer. Prayer, after all, is relationship, us and God together. And of course, as humans, we recognize different relationships in our lives go to different depths. However, the closest, strongest relationships, in my experience, have often been strengthened by periods of pain or disappointment. Isn't it true, if you're married, that the rocky parts are painful and troubling, but they're the seasons that build depth and take you beyond the shallows. That's our experience anyway. Significant relationships include disappointment, but in prayer, as we commune with God and battle with him through the heartache, we have the opportunity to reach new levels of intimacy with God. So I'll have to ask you again the question, have you stopped asking because you don't want to risk further disappointment? And I want to encourage you bravely again. Will you, like Hannah, to stand up and pray? Will you come to God again and work through the disappointment? Will you contend for the things on his heart, asking him to make them the things on your heart too? God is asking you to trust him again. His character hasn't changed. And prayer leads us back into relationship with him. It seems to me that Hannah gets maybe an immediate answer here, but I doubt this is the first time she's prayed about a child. Perhaps Hannah had to dig deep again and bring the situation to God and pray until she found her peace. I don't really know here whether Hannah knew her prayer was answered in the way that she wanted, that she knew she would have, definitely have a baby, or whether she prayed until her trust was restored in God and her relationship with him was reunited. Because ultimately, prayer leads us to trust in a person, not a thing, not a particular outcome or result, or in the way things working out the way we hoped they would go. Hannah rose and she prayed. And through that process, trusted again in the goodness of God and in his provision. Sometimes prayer about something is a one-off. But sometimes God asks us to come daily to trust him again. A whole season, perhaps, of prayer and petitioning. And like manna in the desert, we need to come for fresh bread each day. Give us this day our daily bread, as the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray. Fourthly, as Hannah stood up and prayed, she allowed herself to be changed. Because as prayer, uh, as she prayed, she brought herself in line with God's will for her life. We've just talked, haven't we, about how Hannah's prayer appeared to be answered. But there's more to it than that, because in prayer, Hannah's desires were changed. For the son she hoped and prayed for was no longer just for her own completeness because she offered him to God. Verse 11 says, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give him a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. Her son was for God, for his service and offering to the Lord. And I think it's in prayer that God changes us you know it's us that matters most to him. He wants us to grow in Christ-likeness. As Hannah prayed, her hope shifted to the mission of God, trusting God, submitting to him. It showed on her face. It says her face was no longer downcast. Hannah's desperate weeping had been turned into great joy. She knew where her hope should rest. She knew perhaps her prayer had been answered, but she did not wait until she became pregnant 
before she began to rejoice and eat. She believed God's promises even if she had not yet received them. This was a breakthrough in prayer. And Hannah knew the matter was in the Lord's hands. God became center again. Surely this is reason alone for us to stand up and pray. Because if we don't, something else will inevitably take center stage. It's easy, isn't it, to let something else crowd in, to take a more prominent position than God. What is it for you? It might not be something bad. Maybe even the most worthy things can become idols. Family, marriage, children, or longing for those things. Work, ambition, promotion, making money, being needed, being productive. Prayer changes our perspective. It recenters ourselves on God and realigns us with his will and his priorities. It's freeing to serve God no matter what. Hannah's story is a challenge to release our treasures to God rather than clinging to them. It's really hard to relate to, isn't it? How she could make this vow to give away your child into God's service. That's quite hard to, to think that you could do. But it's in prayer, I think, that Hannah finds that strength. To desire to surrender Samuel's life to God. Samuel remained and was trained in the Lord's service. And that's the reality of Hannah's vow. As an aside, Peninnah must have been very surprised by Hannah's change of outlook. Hannah's whole demeanour changed because her face was no longer downcast. She started eating again. She radiated peace and joy and contentment. How aggravating for a bully. I wonder, can people tell when we've been praying? Because prayer changes our disposition and our outlook. Perhaps a characteristic peace rather than a downcast spirit. My fifth observation is, yeah, I'm not going to tell you how many there are. <laughs> no, two more. Uh, my fifth observation is, as Hannah prayed, she grew in her obedience and commitment to God and also in thankfulness. Hannah took seriously her vow to the Lord and this shows in her commitment to him and her wisdom. Ecclesiastes 5 says, do not be quick with your words. Sorry, with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. For it's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Hannah promised to give God a child to serve him, dedicated to the Lord. It was Hannah that led the way here, not Elkanah. Her gift of Samuel back to the Lord was her response to God's own faithfulness to her. I'm reminded that our children are on loan to us. They belong to God. Hannah's resolve in prayer was to please God and be obedient to his call. And as the passage goes on, we read how Hannah fulfills her, her vow. Verse 28 says, After he was weaned, she took the boy with her. She brought him to the house of the Lord, for his whole life will be given over to the Lord. Hannah was faithful in fulfilling her promise to the Lord, I believe because she'd been changed in prayer and trusted God's purposes for her life. It's unclear how long Hannah had to wait to get pregnant after she prayed, but God's timing for her pregnancy is evidently part of the greater purposes of God. For in her son, Samuel, Israel's salvation story would be worked out. The nation of Israel would get their last judge, and a faithful leader in Samuel. 
He was the one who would anoint David as king, who was in the direct lineage of Christ. Hannah's prayer in chapter 2 seems to connect Samuel with Jesus. For Hannah prayed in her heart, perhaps like Romans 8 describes with groanings that cannot be uttered. Hannah was stirred by the Spirit and burst out in praise and prophecy. There's a bubbling over of gratitude to God. I'm just so glad Hannah's response is recorded here not just the birth of Samuel from Eli or Elkanah's perspective. Aware of her own weakness, Hannah was empowered by God. For God is a God who turns things upside down. Reversals are in God's hands. And in chapter 2, verse 1, we can enjoy Hannah's delight in God's intervention and her delight in God's character. God, the rock, brings strength and security and delight in God himself, not just the blessings he brings. Remember, Samuels might come and go. Blessings come and go. Gifts may fade or get damaged, but God remains the same. This beautiful anointed prayer of Hannah has echoes of Mary's prayer in Luke chapter 1, the Magnificat. Spoken as praise to God over the child in her womb, Jesus, Mary cries, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. The last verse of Hannah's powerful prayer, verse 10, sounds like a specific prophecy of Christ. He will give strength to the king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Christ, our ultimate salvation. As Hannah stood up and prayed, she came in line with God's greater purposes and plans. Just so, so much bigger here than Hannah, I think, would comprehend. God's timing was not off. He simply asks us to trust him like Hannah did and bring our heart cries and our pain and our longings to him because the biggest picture only he can see. And finally, and this maybe is the crux of the matter, that as Hannah prayed, she engaged with God and participated with him. Because to pray is to participate with God. We have a big understanding, don't we, of the sovereignty of God, and maybe this can't be too big. But I think that's only part of the insight, because God's designed things in such a way that he asks us to be involved. He asks us to be active, not passive, in working out his purposes. The Lord's Prayer directs us again here, your kingdom come, your will be done, as it teaches us to pray. We get to participate with God. And when Hannah stood up, she chose to participate. Your kingdom come could sound like resignation. Lord, there's so many problems in the world, just please let your kingdom come, there's nothing we can do about it. But that's not it. Because this is petitioning God to let his kingdom come and our prayers shape the coming of his kingdom. Instead, Jesus invites us to participate. There's so much we can do, but only in his power. Through prayer, God wants to get something done in me, through me. Prayer is a means for God to change the world. We have, don't we, the Holy Spirit to respond to the world's problems in his power. We have a part to play. And so again, 
I'm challenged. That's the, that's the main thing you get out of preparing a talk. I'm challenged, like Hannah, to stand up and pray. I've been wondering this week what circumstances I might affect if I pray. What might change if I pray? Who might get healed if I work through my disappointment and pray? Who might get saved if I pray for them? Who might be blessed if I pray? Whose day might be more positive if I pray? What happens if I don't? Let's stand up and participate with God and start to collect and share our stories more of answered prayer as we stand up for God. Talking about prayer, I think, raises more questions, I've decided. But we're a people of faith, aren't we? So we want to remind one another regularly, we need it regularly, that as we participate with God in prayer, God does answer prayer. And so as we close, we want to recognise that sometimes God asks us to lay down our questions and trust him, even when things don't change. Hannah's story did get me wondering, how do we discern when it's right to pray and keep on wrestling? When do we accept the situation we're in and accept God's grace is sufficient for us in that situation? It's a cop-out, but I don't know. It's probably a different talk. <laughs> but Hannah's prayer is, in Samuel chapter 1, a reminder to us again that when we participate with God and pray, things change. Maybe more importantly, we change. We walk more closely with God. We remind ourselves of his character. We get to join with him in bringing in God's kingdom. That's exciting. So I want to encourage you to pray. I want to leave you with the provocation from Hannah's story that as Hannah stood up and prayed, Hannah rose. She stood up. She brought her circumstances to God. She poured out her heart to God and reminded herself of his character. She participated in prayer and aligned herself with God's priorities. And things changed. But will you stand up? <laughs> I don't know how we want to close. Rob can help me. But I thought it would just be good to take a few minutes in God's presence. And um, just let him speak to you, I think. Let him speak to you about any crowding disappointments of unanswered prayer. Let him speak to you perhaps again about his character, how trustworthy he is, how mighty he is. Maybe you are full of emotion. That's a safe place to bring your emotion to God. God, we want to allow ourselves to be changed in your presence. Father, would you provoke us again to stand up and kind of be counted again as prayer warriors? Would you give us faith for situations, everything, every day, everyone we meet? Father, would you rise in us faith to see your kingdom come in all sorts of ways? Father, would you help us to trust you when things seem unanswered?
and saying, Father, we want to participate with you. <laughs> we want to participate in prayer, Lord. We want to be part of bringing your kingdom in.